Gavin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us about your wild conspiracy. It's on. It's now. It's here. The Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 949, KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. That's me. I'm Andy Griffin. Thank you for tuning in today on this, uh, well, it's actually a really glorious Wednesday morning in southern Utah. Uh, again, uh, let's see, about uh, nine minutes after nine o'clock. Now, I've been uh, hyping this uh, for the last couple of days. Uh, we've got a guest on the phone line today. Uh, I say his name and you might go, now, wait, that name sounds kind of familiar, but we'll get into who he is and what he's done in his lifetime in a few minutes. But let me welcome J.J. French to the program. J.J., how are you? I'm great, man. Beautiful morning here in New York as well. Awesome. That's that's good to hear. We're we're at about uh, 60 degrees right now, so uh, probably a little warmer here than there. Yeah, it's actually, you know, we've had a good fall so far. Record-breaking rain. Awesome. Crazy rain. You guys don't have that much, right? We've no. been having record, record-breaking rains this year, and so uh, we're doing good. But the morning is beautiful, and it is about 60 right now. Yeah. You, you surviving the pandemic so far and, and uh, <sighs> masks and vaccines and all that stuff? Well, to be honest with you, I've lost six people, oh, that's uh, and, that and New York City was devastated. So I uh, don't want to eat up too much of your time, but at its absolute worst, um, yeah. it was looked like a it looked like a zombie apocalypse movie set in New York. Um, we had uh, ambulances twenty four seven going up the street to the hospital down by my house, uh, Central Park had uh, a tenth city uh, because Mount Sinai was so overflowing. With, with, with people who were sick, and they had trucks with, with cadavers uh, stacked up. I mean, it really was unbelievable, but it's gotten a whole lot better now. Now, Jay, if you don't, JJ, if you don't mind me saying, Jay, JJ is 69 years old, so he's seen a few things and done a few things in his life, probably a few more things than most of us, but considering what he did in his youth. Uh, JJ was the guitarist and band manager for the band Twisted Sister which uh, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, 70s and 80s, but mostly 80s for me, uh, you uh, were uh, almost on a first-name basis with the guys in Twisted Sister. Uh, not only that, uh, you guys were touring like constantly. I read somewhere you did over 9,000 live shows. Yeah, well, 9,000 performances, that's for me, is because I was the only original member. So, mm-hmm. you know, we used to play five shows a night, six days a week in the early days. So probably in the first three years, we racked up about... 4,000 performances just in the first three wow. years. Um, wow. So by the time he joined, uh, he joined, he was the fourth lead singer um, uh, in the band. And uh, and then together, shoulder to shoulder, he and I probably stood on stage for about another, you know, three to 4,000 performances together. So yeah, it's a crazy, it's, a, it's been a crazy life. You know, I, I've been doing uh, sports games on the on the air, uh, sports games on the air for about thirty years now. And uh, I, I look back one time, we tried to count them. I, I was like eight thousand ball games I've done on the on the radio, and uh, and I, it doesn't feel like it. I'm sure you probably look back and go, it doesn't feel like I did that many shows. It's I was just doing what I do. Well, I, except I think you will uh, appreciate this view of it. We get so good at it that um, it doesn't seem like we're doing it anymore. And that is because it's the bo- I call it the boredom of excellence. I talk about it in my book. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's how you get great. Uh, because you know that cliche. You know they say insanity is when you do something over and over expecting different results. And right. I, I don't I don't believe that. I believe that perfection is when you do something over and over and over again. Because what happens is you don't even realize 
you getting better because let's say you make a mistake, a little mistake, nobody else knows. You in your head are not going to want to repeat that mistake the next day. You may find a new way to make a mistake, <laughs> but you're never going to repeat that mistake. And I think that's the foundation of why Twisted Sister such a great live band, because think about this, Andy. There's only a handful of artists in the world where a promoter would trust the artist with 100,000 people. Very few. Yeah. We're one of those few bands that can be trusted playing to 100,000 people, knowing that we're going to deliver a performance. They're going to walk out and go. That was one of the greatest nights of my life, and we take great pride in that reputation. Don't have a ton of time, but I did want to talk to you about a few things in your life, uh, JJ. You, you were, uh, I guess, troubled youth would be a, a way to <laughs> way way to call it. You you got into drugs early. Yeah, you know, I was selling weed at fifteen. I tried to tell everybody it was a coming fad. Nobody paid attention to me. Now they are. <laughs> you were just Everyone's fifty years early. <laughs> I was fifty years early. So I started selling pots to make money to buy guitars and amplifiers, and I got involved in the whole New York New York City drug hippie scene. I was born in 52. I was 15 when Sergeant Pepper came out. So you can, I was in the bullseye. Yeah. And so I was surrounded by politics, sex, drugs, rock and roll politics, everything that you could possibly imagine, which is detailed in the book, Twisted Business, uh, which is a biz war. It's a business book and a memoir. And the first part of the book is the, is the memoir part, which I tell you why I became the kind of person I did. And then the business part of the book is telling you how I applied lessons of my life to being able to make the band one of the most successful bands in the history of the heavy metal scene, especially because we're not going to take it and I want to rock, which you know those songs really well, yeah. are the two most licensed songs uh, in heavy metal. Now, uh, you know, the, the, the cliche is, you know, rock and roll, guys, they get into drugs, they do drugs, they do all the things that rock and rollers do, and, and then they become big stars and they get more of it, et cetera, et cetera. You, you kind of went about it a different way. You actually stopped taking drugs, and that's when music really started to work for you. It's exactly right. I went cold turkey in 72, stopped everything. That was the good news. I told my mom, hey, guess what, mom? I'm no longer doing drugs, except I'm going to now be in a transvestite rock band. <laughs> so I, I don't know how much she appreciated that transition. But what happened was, uh, as I detail in the book, the history of the band started in 1973. And that version of the band was full of alcoholics. I, I never drank. I, I, drinking was never my thing. And I watched alcohol and then methamphetamine come in with other band members because it was the 11th version of the band that became successful uh, with D and Mendoza. So I went through years and years and years of, of dealing with idiots who were drunk or on drugs, and I became so anti-drug and anti-alcohol that I only wanted to hire people who were straight. So when D came on the scene, uh, he was a great singer, great performer, but I said to him, by the way, I hate drugs and alcohol. And he goes, so do I. And I went, oh, my God. Really? Oh, yeah. my God. And then Mendoza on bass, you know, big 275-pound biker. I said, you know, man, we hate drugs and alcohol. So do I. I went, huh. oh, wow. So here I have a totally straight band, right, except that we're being warned by everybody, don't tell anybody how straight you are because it'll ruin your reputation. Go figure that one out. Yeah, very very bizarre because you would think the opposite. But uh, I remember when I was a teenager, and I was a teenager in the in the 80s, uh, I remember looking for bands that uh, – because I didn't drink or take drugs either. I, I remember looking for bands that had that profile, but as it turns out, I guess I was kind of the weird kid because most people, first of all, didn't care what their bands did in their free time. And second of all, if they did, uh, it would, like you said, tarnish their reputation if they were actually clean. Yeah, although you know, Gene and Paul from Kiss are notoriously clean. Mm -hmm. uh, Ted Nugent, 
notoriously clean. Uh, they spoke about it. We were warned not to speak about it. You know, the weird thing is, Rob Halford from Judas Priest, I had him on my podcast recently, and he wrote a book, and he detailed his, his homosexuality, and he said he was in fear of the world finding out he was gay because he thought it would ruin his reputation. And I said we were in fear of the world finding out we were straight because <laughs> it was going to ruin our reputation. Wow. So after a while, we just said, you know what, I don't want to be poster boys for kids getting high and thinking they're emulating my life. And so we decided just to speak the truth. If you ask me, I would say no. I, I found nothing redemptive about it. It was all horrible. It destroyed my scene when I was a teenager. The reason why I stopped doing it, best friend, girlfriend, all my friends around me, OD'd, I OD'd on heroin. It was enough, was enough, was enough. I'd seen it all, and um, I had no time for it, nor did I want musicians who were affecting my ability to become successful because they were just too high to do the job they had to do. You know, when I was growing up, JJ, uh, you know, Plan A was to be quarterback in the NFL. Uh, plan B was to be a rock and roll star. I think that was a pretty similar plan to a lot of kids my age. Uh, and you, you actually got to live the, the, my Plan B. Uh, at what point did you say to yourself, "Wow, this is it. This is what I always wanted to be a rock and roll star." Well, it's a great question. First of all, when I saw the Beatles on TV, like mm-hmm. many people, I said I want to do that. Okay, I said, that's what I want to do. I was 11 years old. I went, whoa, that looks good. However, at that very moment, had somebody put their hand on my shoulder and said, okay, JJ, you know, you're going to have a gold record. And I, I'd go, when, in five years? And they go, actually, 20 years and six months from now. I, oh. may, have rethought, I may have rethought that whole concept. Okay, however, because it was 20 years and six months from that time that we got our first gold record for, for uh, Can't Stop Rock and Roll. Um, yeah, that's the whole thing about entrepreneurial dreams especially from athletes and musicians, sports stars. We start early. We get the bug early, and then we go for it. And, you know, I don't know. It peeled out, Andy, over so many years that I don't know if there was one moment in time Mm -hmm. where I said, oh, my God. I think that this is such an esoteric thing, but Marshall Amplifiers, it never gives amps to anybody. Jimi Hendrix plays Marshalls. I met these people at a music convention, and they, they walked up to me, and they said, you know, We've been following your career, and we love Twisted Sister, and we're giving you six Marshall stacks, which nobody ever gets. Wow. Okay, nobody ever gets. It's such an internal music thing. And I said, but you never give Jimi Hendrix his stacks and Cream their stacks. He goes, no, but, but you're one of the top three bands in the world, and we've been following your career because you guys are from Long Island, and we love you, and we're giving you six. And I went, I went wow, I made it. <laughs> I mean, and then, of course, Blackwell made us on his worst-dressed women's list in 1988. <laughs> that's right. And he, and he said we look like a car crash in a whorehouse. So I guess that's a badge of honor, too, wouldn't you think? I, well, I mean, I, I guess worst-dressed women. <laughs> I always said if I was a woman, I'd be a lesbian. But that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, early on, uh, you know, I mean, you just talked about it. You, uh, you're going to be a star, a superstar in 20 years. Early on, was it hard to keep believing in, in the dream? Was it hard for you to go, yeah, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going, even though we are, we're good, but we're not big? Well, again, a great question. I'm either the smartest guy in the room or I was too dumb to stop. <laughs> and, and, um, and it could be a combination of both. What I tell in the book, Twisted Business, which is out now available on Amazon, and I detail this because it is a business book. I take you through the, the, the twisted method of reinvention. I use the, the letters in Twisted to discuss how and why we did it. T-W-I-S-T-E-D, tenacity, wisdom, inspiration, stability, trust, excellence, and discipline. And believe it or not, I know it sounds weird that the business book of the year is being written by a heavy metal guitar player. I know that sounds weird. (laughs) But trust me when I tell you that 
those lessons in that book are applicable to anything in the world, musician, shoemaker, even in life, it doesn't matter. We came back. Here's the whole point, man. We were turned down more times in the bedsheet and have come back more times than Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers. Mm. And the ability to come back, and you know, because you're in the entertainment business, how much we have to reinvent ourselves year to year. It's very important. Nobody reinvents themselves more than the people in the entertainment business because we live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. You can't even enjoy having a hit record in my business. Do you know why? Because the first question they ask you is, so, what's, what's your next project? Yeah. And I go, excuse me, can I just enjoy like five minutes of the fact that I have the number one video on MTV or the number one song or the number one this or the number one that? So uh, the book essentially is about the twisted method of reinvention. That's the business side of it. And I urge people, it doesn't matter if you're in the music business and it doesn't matter what part of the business. It could be in hip-hop, country, pop. doesn't matter. And any other form of entertainment or in life in general, the book gives you a roadmap to turn roadblocks into pathways. And I'm very proud of writing this book with Steve Farber because I do believe it is the business book of the year. Once you get past my sordid... <laughs> start and my memoir which you which you probably were shocked when you read the uh you know how crazy it was twisted business is the name of the book i don't know how much longer you have with me jj but i'll i'll keep you as long as i'm allowed to uh, oh well then listen i've got a couple of minutes so you just ask okay. away all right uh, one of the questions i wanted to ask you about uh one of, well in 1984 you released a song we're not going to take it um to, to me that and i was i was 18 years old in 1984 to me this was the ultimate teenager uh i'm gonna live my life the way i want to live my life and i think i think there were probably millions of people guys and girls just like me who went yeah they encapsulated exactly how i feel did did you guys know that when that song was recorded and then released did you know that was happening well d who is you know, my partner and, and a, an incredible performer and a phenomenal songwriter has a history or had a history prior to this of writing anthems, you know, big sounding anthems. He was an Alice Cooper fan. And if you yeah. remember, Alice Cooper had I'm 18, School's Out, you know, big yeah. anthems. So D wrote him. And he first wrote a song called I'll Never Grow Up Now, which is the first big anthem. And it's on. Um, uh, it's on the other uh, the Blade album, the American version of it. And, and you could hear the beginnings of his anthemic writing. Then he wrote Bad Boys of Rock and Roll. That was another big anthem. Then he wrote You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. That was yet another big anthem. And he wrote a song called I Am My Me, which preceded We're Not Going to Take It because it went top 10 in England and broke us over in Europe. We were on TV shows. So we always knew that he had it in him. But when he came to the recording studio for Stay Hungry and he presented 25 songs, we just demoed them and we gave them to the producers. And, you know, the producers didn't necessarily pick up on it. Isn't that incredible? Like, nobody picked up on it. They were like, yeah, okay. Nobody. Yeah, okay. Wow. Maybe, it's, maybe it's a hit. Maybe it's not a hit. I mean, one producer didn't even want it on the record. How crazy is that? Wow. Okay. And not only that, but the English record label that we were signed to never even released it as a single because they didn't believe in the single. And yet here we are nearly 40 years later. And that song is, it's so big, so popular that, um, it's always on the top of everybody's list. It is the number one protest song in the world. It's used by everybody from every walk of life. You can possibly imagine it's, it, it's used in more TV shows, more commercials, more soundtracks than any other heavy metal song. And we, could not have foreseen that. I'm being brutally honest with you. There was no way to foresee it because we also could not foresee 
digital downloads. We didn't know what this world was going to turn into. There was no way to see it. Uh, but the fact that it became such a standard that it is just used so often is gratifying, mind-blowing, and it's a testimony to Dee Snyder's incredible songwriting ability. Right, short on time, I want to ask you how you transitioned from uh, really uh, uh, rebel rebel rocker into businessman, successful uh, uh, manager, uh, turning your life into well. I mean, nobody can retire on what they made as a rock and roller when they were thirty years old. They, you know, they they've they've got to have a plan for life. How did you transition? Well, we transitioned because we're smart. There's wisdom involved in this, and you're absolutely right. You can't if. if People do not understand in the entertainment business, young people, especially who become successful early, think it lasts forever. But you know as well as I do that fame is rented. It is never owned. Yeah. It's an important thing to remember. I always felt it was rented and never owned. I never assumed anything was going to last forever. And so as time went on and the business changed, our business model changed to keep up with the business world, and most bands didn't. And that's why when COVID hit, we were not affected because we retired from live performing in 2016, a year after our drummer AJ passed away. We did one final tour with Mike Portnoy on drums, who's one of the greatest drummers in the world. Mm -hmm. We called it a day, and we concentrated on licensing our music, which is what we do. And, uh, our, and, and because so many people download our music and, and, and stream our music, we have a whole career based on that, which is fine. So we were not affected by it. But that is because we had vision. I had vision. We were able to see things, and we were able to adapt to the environment that we were in. Got to have a vision for the future, no matter how old you are. And J.J. French here, 69 years old, still, you still sound young to me, man. Well, you know, my motto is, my friend, sex, prescription drugs, and rock and roll. That's <laughs> <laughs> There you go. The book, folks, is Twisted Business, Lessons from My Life in Rock and Roll with J.J. French. And uh, uh, your friend Steve Farber helped you write this. Yeah, yeah. Steve is a best-selling business author. I met him at a social media conference. I watched him speak. He said to me, you can speak, too. Like, go figure. When I told my daughter, by the way, that I was starting a podcast, and she said, Dad, if you're going to make money talking, you'll be the richest person on earth. And I told her, <laughs> if you can make money using a cell phone, you'll be the second richest person on earth. But, um, uh, like, yeah, so yeah. Steve Farber is great, and he's a best-selling author, and he really helped bring the book together for me. Well, thanks so much. I assume we can find this Amazon is the best place to get it? Yeah, well, uh, usually, yes, because it can be delivered from anywhere, anytime. Any <laughs> they have a pretty crazy business. I mean, you can go to the bookstore, but yeah, Amazon's probably the best way to go get it uh, now. So Twisted Business, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. JJ, great to talk to you, and uh, thanks for livening up my teenage years, buddy. <laughs> Thank you for... Uh, helping me make you deafer than you need to be. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. All right. Thanks, JJ. All right, man. Take care. Of yourself. Take care. JJ French from Twisted Sister. Uh, the new book, again, is Twisted Business. It's an interesting book because the first, yeah, I'm going to say half ish of it, maybe a little more, uh, is kind of a memoir about his life growing up. Uh, he was a son of a son of a, uh, a Democratic uh, consultant. Uh, for John F. Kennedy, uh, he just, you know, he, he got into drugs so he could buy stuff for, to, to rock and uh, ended up giving up drugs and, and developing this band. A really great, uh, great uh, business book when it gets right down to it. Twisted Business is the name of it by J.J. J. French. 
And uh, yeah, we've got to get our uh, got to get our weather break in here. Thanks so much to JJ for joining us. If you didn't get a chance to talk to him, I apologize. Uh, just not enough time. He had uh, commitments he had to take care of. But let's uh, check in with weather now. We're interactive on the Andy Griffin Show. Call in, call in at six seven three five eight nine zero or text in at four three five four six seven five eight four two. Let your voice be heard on the Andy Griffin Show. All right, thanks for tuning in. 933 on KDXU. I'm Andy Griffin. I'm here uh, most days unless I have a kidney stone or something crazy happened to me. Uh, again, thanks to J.J. French from the band Twisted Sister, who has a new book out. Uh, the book is Twisted Business, if you're interested in a copy. Uh, I'm trying to give away a couple of copies now. I've got I've got one here in my hand. I've got uh, uh, some permission to give some other ones out, but it's going to be a process where I have to get your name and address I have to get it to the publicist who gets it to the publishing company. So it might be a week or two before you get your copy. But, uh, yeah, we've got uh, several copies of the book Twisted Business to give out there. And you can learn a little bit about uh, J.J. French and the band Twisted Sister and kind of what, uh, you know, what what, uh, the process was like. I remember as a teenager, (laughs) uh, seriously, what I said to J.J. was true. I remember thinking to myself, uh, you know what, if uh, this whole football thing doesn't work out for me, I I think I could be a lead singer in a rock and roll band. I, I think that would be. I knew I wasn't going to be the guitarist because I was I, I was terrible at guitar. I I never really did get the bass thing with the finger plucking instead of the thumb, uh, and I wasn't a drummer. And, and there wasn't a lot of a lot of need in rock and roll bands for a sax player, so I thought my best ticket was uh, to uh, to be a, a singer, and. Uh, Anyway, long story short, that, that didn't quite work out for me. Uh, but as I was in my teenage years, and I'm curious how some of you feel about this. Uh, I, I was really into music. I was, I was in a jazz band. I was in for a while. I was in a, a local performing band. Uh, I was uh, uh, marching. You know, I did all the all the band stuff. Uh, I was, uh, in fact, my senior year, I had two classes I had to take, like an English and a math. Every one of my other classes were were electives. I took like jazz band and, and uh, orchestra. I was a TA for orchestra class, and I was took symphonic band, and I took AP music. And uh, you know, my my world, if it wasn't going to be wrapped around football, was going to be wrapped around music somehow. And uh, as it turns out, in the long run, it more wrapped around sports than I realized. I got to, got into radio and was able to, to explore my sportsy side that way. Uh, in fact, I told my wife, I said, I, I love sports. She said, well, find a way to get paid for it because uh, we're not doing that as our pastime all the time. So anyway, I was fortunate to do that. But back to music. Um, for me, I always tried to find bands that... Uh, uh, how do I word this? I, I I didn't want bands that tore me down. I didn't I didn't want to feel negative and down. Uh, that's why bands like I don't know Black Sabbath, uh, Axe, uh, some of those really uh, negative bands, those bands that dealt in the dark arts and and horror and you know Ozzy Osbourne type type stuff. I Alice Cooper. I was never really into those guys because I didn't. I didn't feel like that there was a lot of positive that could be gained from it. I, I, I mean, as a teenage kid, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't party, uh, and, you know. And so for me, I, I wanted to find bands that that had 
to me, good moral uh, values. I had no idea, by the way, at the time that Twisted Sister, they were a don't drink, don't smoke, don't take drugs band. Uh, they, the way they dressed, and for those of you that aren't old enough to know who Twisted Sister is, uh, they wore, they weren't like Kiss where they wore full body makeup, but they wore weird makeup, had weird hair. Early on, before I knew of them, they wore dresses and stuff. By the time they got popular, they were, you know, everybody was doing this. They were wearing spandex and leather, but they had big hair uh, and makeup. They would wear exaggerated makeup uh, on their faces. In fact, the lead singer, Dee Snyder, looked like a clown, to be quite honest, without the white paint, but with the red paint and the, the, yeah, just he, he was kind of a clown, but... Uh, their song, We're Not Going to Take It, became the anthem for kids in the 80s. We're not going to take it anymore. It's just, you know, mom and dad quit telling me what to do. Now, as I became a parent and now a grandparent, I realized, oh, wait a minute. Mom and dad are just trying to help you. I I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, mom and dad are just trying to help you out. But uh, to me, it was really important the mood that music left me with. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's okay to hear, listen to the blues and feel down, you know. But for me, uh, I was a big believer in something called the doctrine of ethos. In fact, I took a class on music and uh, wrote a paper on the doctrine of ethos. Now, what that is, and bear with me for a minute while I explain it, uh, the ancient Greeks believed that if music could, uh, in a very real way, affect emotions— in fact, they had certain scales they would play, and if they needed someone to change their mood, they would play a certain uh, music in a per- certain scale range to change the mood uh, of that person. And because it seemed to work, they stuck with it. That's why it was a doctrine, the doctrine of ethos. Uh, it was tamed down for modern times, but there were several modern studies done. One of them uh, had to do with wild animals. They would put, uh, for instance, a, a, a starving lion in with a you know with with a, a potential food uh, partner like <laughs> something it wanted to eat and but then they would play soothing music and uh, they found that oft times not every time but oft times the lion would uh, against its natural instinct to kill and eat the 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 food animal that was in there with it it oft times would not attack while the soothing music was playing by the same token, you play harsh music, and the lion was more likely to attack and quicker. Uh, so to me, Doctrine of Ethos was, was really important. And, and, and it, before I wrote that paper, as I was in my you know, 16 to 18 years of age, it was, it, to me, it was, music was about moods. And how, what kind of mood would music put me in? And yeah, sometimes it felt good to feel bad, uh, as uh, the song goes. But most of the time... I wanted to use music to help me feel better about life. Uh, and, uh, and that's why Twisted Sister was such a, a big part of things for a lot of us that grew up in the 80s. Uh, yeah, they were weird. They had weird makeup and weird hair, but they sang a couple of iconic songs. One of them, We're Not Going to Take It. The other one was I Want to Rock. Uh, which uh, the, the the video starts out with, uh, boy, what do you want to do with your life? And the boy finally answers his dad back and says, I want to rock. Anyway, it's, it's a whole long story. But uh, the, 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 the bottom line is these were songs that, that gave us motivation as teenagers. And it wasn't motivation to defy your parents. It wasn't motivation to, 
I don't know, to, to do the exact opposite of what you were told to do. It was motivation to grow up, to be a man, to take control of your own life. And uh, as, as J.J. French says, uh, put it uh, a few minutes ago, he said, you know, it's, we didn't know at the time what it was doing. But now we look back on it and we go, okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That, that's really cool. So um, anyway, thanks again to J.J. French. Uh, thanks for indulging me a few minutes as I talk about the music on this program. Another song, you know, the theme song to this uh, show, the, the jazzed up version of the Andy Griffith uh, theme song, uh, always puts guests in a good mood, too. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've had people in this studio and you can tell they're nervous and they don't smile and they're, they're, they're probably their palms are sweaty and you can tell they're just really tense. And I try to calm, hey, don't worry about it. We're just going to have a conversation. No big deal. And then, uh, and then you know, they're, the, the last commercial plays and they're like, oh, no, here we go. And then that theme song will come on, the, this theme song here. Yeah. And all of a sudden they lighten up and they loosen up and they go, hmm, I guess I don't need to be too tense. So, uh, yeah, it. I, I'm a big believer that music changes the way we feel. Uh, there's a popular movie out, and I wish I could remember the name of it. And you guys will probably remember it. Uh, but it, it, it's a movie where the, the uh, it's an older couple, and she has uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, and she can't remember anything about their life together. And I'm not talking about The Notebook, although it's kind of like The Notebook. Uh, but they play music from when they were young. And when the music plays from their youth, she is transported back in time to when she fell in love with this guy. And, uh, and it helps her remember. I love that. I love that. All right, it's 942. Let's go to the phone line. Uh, Seth, what's up, Seth? We got some music. I can't tell what that is, though, Seth. Uh, what is that? It sounded like a xylophone to me. I've discovered a new hippie instrument. A hippie instrument, okay. Kalimba. Karimba. Like a okay. marimba? Yes, it, it's a, a tined kind of instrument. So the one I've got has got 21 keys on it. Hmm. And they're pieces of metal that are bound down to a tuning, uh, to a soundboard. And uh, you don't need to know how to play music you can just sort of, uh, you can do songs, of course, and there's whole concerts on the kalimba. And uh, it's it sort of, uh, you can create a more, uh, I had a friend right, who's a musical person, and he said, let me show you a trick. And he took the kalimba on the end of it and attached it to a huge window, just placed it on the window, and the entire window began to vibrate and create uh, increased sounds. Very cool. All Very right. Cool. So, so um, I'm fascinated with music, and of course, in my life of higher education, I was compelled to take uh, a music appreciation at the University of Utah, and was introduced to a wide range of music, and of course. It was not just listening to the music, but you had to pass a test that play a few bars of all the great um, uh, classical and, and the like, and you had to identify them to get out of the class. Yeah, I, re- I remember I, take, I took that class as well. as I took as many music classes as, as they would allow me as a non-music major. 
So you, yes, and and you know that served me well. The classical music, uh, all all varieties, and I became. And you and I have talked about this before. I want to. I want music that that uh, tells a story. Yeah. Okay. Kenny Rogers was a master at that. Yes, and uh, um, the Eagles and Don Henley, yeah. and uh, um, I just came across uh, what is it, uh, Billy Gibbons? Billy uh, ZZ, ZZ Top. Top, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's made a pumped-up version with Tennessee Ernie Ford singing the song "16 Ton." Really, really. All right, I'll have to look and, that one and up. Uh, it's amazing, and it's uh, it in. Pittsburgh, where I'm from, in the tri-state area with West Virginia and the Appalachian coal mine area. That was, I remember seeing Tennessee Ernie Ford in 1956 sing that on Ed Sullivan's show. Uh, I wasn't born yet, Seth. Well, you'll get a chance if you go to this <laughs> thing. They intertwine them. They're, they're showing Tennessee Ernie Ford singing it while while the um, ZZ Top guy is is singing it also, and it's a driving kind of beat. But it it uh, reminds me of getting up and going to work every day, sixteen tons, and what did I get? Another day older and, and deeper, deeper in, in debt. debt. Yeah, yep. And and St. <laughs> Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm in love with music. As a matter of fact, before the show, I was going back and playing those songs. And uh, it does, uh, music uh, seems to calm the savage beast. And I need lots of, because I'm a savage beast, you know. <laughs> you and your ducks. <laughs> <laughs> quack, quack. Thank you, sir. Appreciate right, that. That was it. It's very interesting. An uh, unusual selection for your first day back. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. It is a nine forty-seven on KDXU. Thanks to Seth for calling. If you want to call and be a part of the program, I'm going to take a commercial break now. But we'd love to hear from you and some of your music experiences throughout life. Has music changed you? If it has, has it changed you for the better? Uh, do you have some? Uh, I'll tell you a couple of uh, people I'm I'm fans of throughout the year. One of them is a guy by the name of Kevin Cronin. Kevin Cronin is the lead singer to Ario Speedwagon. I always liked Ario Speedwagon. They were I always thought they were really good. Uh, uh, but one thing I learned about Kevin Cronin, which uh, made me like him and the band even more, Kevin Cronin has been married to the same woman for thirty plus years. To me, that says something about somebody. Right there. All right. Uh, let's. All right. We'll take a quick call and then we'll do the commercial break. Hey, you're on with Andy this morning. What's up? Not much. Hey, it's really interesting that you're talking about this music thing because I was uh, reading in uh, one of my college class books the other day about research that someone did that they would take these premature babies and while they were in the hospital, they would play soft music uh, mm. to them. And I mean, it. Um, Interestingly, it only worked on the on the female babies. Really, but it actually helped them. They actually left the, I guess the NICU, NICU area yeah. about six to nine days earlier than the ones that they weren't playing the music for. Wow! So wow. music really does have growth and healing abilities. Maybe maybe the boys needed Twisted Sister instead of soothing music. Maybe that would have helped. 
Well, or they needed to turn the sound up because they <laughs> also right. say that women hear better than yeah. men do. So. That's true. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Yep. 949 on KDXU. Again, got to get a commercial break in. When we come back, we'll take your calls at 673-5890. Has music been important to you? Just stuff you hear on the radio. By the way, I looked it up on Spotify. 300, I think it's 350 million downloads of We're Not Going to Take It from Twisted Sister. Uh, and that's only since Spotify has been around. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'd say that was a pretty big, pretty big band. Uh, Joe Shoney is a show sponsor, has been since uh, its inception uh, many, many years ago. Uh, Joe's a loan consultant. His specialty is customer service. In fact, he gets 4.91 out of five stars online. Phenomenal numbers. I'm told now, though, one thing I have to do is always remember to read his NMLS number. I don't even know what that is. I'm just told legally I have to say it. So, uh, first of all, his NMLS is 121041. His phone number is 435-590-6300. We're interactive on the Andy Griffin Show. Call in, Call in at 673-5890 or text in at 435-467-5842. Let your voice be heard on the Andy Griffin Show. Nine fifty-two on KDXU. Again, thanks for tuning in to the program. I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be alive. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I, I didn't want to talk a lot about it. It's a health thing, and you guys would probably be bored. But uh, I did have a kidney stone. It was uh, bigger than uh, it should have been. Uh, it, it did not pass. They had to, uh, unfortunately, go in and shoot it with a laser and break it into pieces and, and get it out. And uh, Some notes on kidney stones. First of all, uh, I thought all the pain would be in the bladder area when, with a kidney stone. This was a few years ago. Then I had my first kidney stone, and it was weird. I went into the doctor because I had pain in my back left, lower left back area was in pain. And uh, I, I went to the doctor. I said, what's going on? Is this a you know pancreatitis? Is, uh, pancreatitis? is, is this an appendix? What? What's happening? Is it my liver? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I didn't study anatomy. I don't know what's going on with me. I just know my lower left back hurts, and there's nothing there except the back of my rib cage. And he said, ah, oh, you got a kidney stone. I said, wait, what? No, the kidneys. No, it, it, yeah, I know what happens with a kidney stone. You have to pass it, and it hurts you know, down there. And he's like, oh, no, no. The, most of the pain with a kidney stone is in your, in your kidney. It's it lower left back. It, basically, the stone, when it tries to leave the kidney and go down to your bladder, that's where you feel most of the pain. And I was like, huh, okay, so what do I do about it? He's like, oh, modern technology, we, we can do, well, we, I can, well, if we have to, we'll operate. And I was like, wait a minute. Modern technology, we got lasers and ultrasounds and wave therapy and all. Surely you can do something for me. And he said, well... I'll give you some medicine that will help open up the the tubes down there. Uh, but uh, basically, we just got to sit and wait. And I said, well, but I'm in pain. What, you know, can you make it go away? And he said, well, I, I can give you some drugs if you want. I said, well, no, I I can take drugs. That's not what I'm talking about. I just make, make the kidney stone go away. And he said, well, that's not really how it works. He said, now, if it's a big, serious one. 
then we will have to go in and, and uh, you know, we can laser shoot it or, or do whatever. But he says, uh, for the most part, we just let it pass. And I was like, man, it's 2000. I think the first one I had was 2018 or something like that, 2017. And I said, man, it's it's 2000. It's, it's a 21st century. And you're telling me that there's not a whole lot of, of anything that you can do. And he's like, ah, yeah, no, not really. Ah, so I passed that one and actually passed within a day of it first hurting. And, uh, I was like, it hurt. Right. I was like, ouch. But I was, I was kind of like, well, if that's a kidney stone, then I don't see what all the hullabaloo is about. Right. It it hurt, but it didn't hurt that bad. And it was gone within a day. Uh, and then I got one last week, uh, Wednesday morning. I woke up with this pain in my lower left back and uh, I thought I had pulled a muscle because at my age, you pull muscles when you're sleeping. Sometimes it happens. I'm not even kidding. Uh, and, and so I got up, I got to work. And when I got to work by five minutes to six, so I'm on the air at six o'clock, five minutes to, I was, I, the pain level was the worst I'd felt in my life for anything. Any injury I'd ever had, I tore my Achilles. I've done all kinds of bad injuries in my life. This was the worst back surgery. Nope. This was worse. Uh, so, uh, I got sick and then, uh, at getting sick somehow helped me. And I was able to Wednesday, I was relatively normal. I was in a little bit of pain, but not severe pain anymore. Uh, I came to work Thursday, heavily medicated. I had some leftover pills from my back surgery, which I don't even know if it's legal or whatever, but, uh, I got a right. My wife actually took me to work I got a ride and and, uh, and did the show all right on Thursday. Uh, Friday, no, Thursday was the day I actually called Andy Thompson, right? Andy came in and did the show for me. And thank you so much to Andy for covering for me. He has, you know, he just had a baby. Him and his wife had a baby. And, they, and he's a week behind uh, work. He's still trying to catch up. And yet he stepped in and saved my bacon that day. Uh, I came back Friday heavily medicated. My wife drove me to work. I was able to do the show. I felt okay. I really thought things were going to be all right. Uh, Saturday morning, I got up, got to meet some of you. I did that live remote over at Vernon Worthen Park. Uh, but then the pain returned uh, Saturday afternoon, and it was uh, back up to a 10 out of 10. It was, like I said, the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. Uh, took some more drugs. It it took the edge off, but it still hurt a lot. And then Saturday night, Sunday morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, I had taken basically more pills than I was even supposed to take. Uh, it it hurt so bad. I, I finally woke my, woke my wife up at 2 in the morning and said, Honey, we got to go to the hospital. I can't, I can't take this anymore. Uh, and all her, you know, for three, four days, she'd been telling me what a stud I was for dealing with the pain and stuff. And I, I, I felt like a failure and like giving, like I was a big old baby, but uh, we had to get to the hospital and it's a good thing I did because I got to the hospital, found out that the stone was only had about a 20% chance of passing on its own because of the size of it. And that I also had an infection. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, they underwent surgery. I was actually the shortest, maybe hospital stay ever for, for me anyway, 12 hours, 2 AM to 2 PM. Uh, I was out of there after a a very kind doctor did the the surgery fairly quickly, uh, that morning. And, uh, I was out and home and, uh, I am so glad that that is behind me. Uh, what will I do to never get a kidney stone again? That is a great question because time heals and, and memory uh, leaves us. Uh, 
you know, they said, well, if you never want to get a kidney stone again, probably a low sodium, low, low salt, low sugar diet will do it and stop eating red meat. <laughs> now, you folks know me and how much I talk about barbecue and how I love to smoke meat. And, uh, you know, would I give up red meat to never get a kidney stone again? Uh, I think the answer is a resounding, uh-uh. no, it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, should I cut back on red meat? Yeah, and I will try. But uh, to to give it up, cold turkey, as it were, uh, I, I just I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to cut back on sugar and and the amount of red meat I eat. But I am not going to stop all that stuff. Maybe I'm headed for a coronary or another giant stone. I don't know. But I can tell you this. Life is lived every day. And whether it's good music or good food or good family and friends, it's worth living to its fullest uh, uh, you know, within reason. Uh, and I don't think that needs to change just because I had a pain in my back.